0: Thank you very much, Val, for reading for us this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This morning, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A couple of months ago when the Queen had died, uh, you will remember, I'm sure, uh, those couple of weeks where really you couldn't turn on your TV without uh, seeing news of the Queen. Uh, And one of the parts of the story that kept coming up as uh, so they were talking about the Queen, was how um, as the Queen, as a young child, she sort of had never been in line for the throne, and then her uncle had abdicated, and, uh, and then her father had died quite young, and at only 25 years old, she found herself uh, suddenly on the throne. Uh, and they kept bringing up that uh, quote that she'd made. Uh, she had said this, uh, she'd said, uh, while she was young, she said this, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. She'd said that her whole life, it wasn't about her anymore. Her whole life was given to service of her kingdom. And everyone was saying after she died, this is exactly what she did, wasn't it? She, she'd she even uh, you know um, appointed that new prime minister, I think the day or, or two days before she died. Of course, the prime minister's already long gone, but um, there we go. She, she, she did what she said she would do. She gave her whole life in the service of her kingdom. I wonder if you can imagine what it would have been like to have been in Queen Elizabeth's shoes. Uh, 25 years old, all those responsibilities on your shoulders, but also, of course, a pretty remarkable privilege to be heir to a throne and to have such an important role. Uh, Well, today I want us to ask, if Queen Elizabeth was able to look at her lot and choose to give her life to her cause, well, how much more should we as Christians be willing to give our lives, be they long or be they short, in service of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, as we will see today, is uh, so much more than any earthly kingdom. It's it's eternal, it's good, it brings life and joy and flourishing. And to be able to serve in his kingdom, to be able to serve the king of the universe in the kingdom that lasts forever, well, I want us to see today that uh, that's the role that's, fallen on us, and it's even more of a privilege, even more of a responsibility, even more special than the position that Queen Elizabeth found herself in all those years ago. Will we give our lives to God's kingdom? Well, it all starts with praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three questions as we look at this line of the prayer this morning. And if you were with us last week, sorry, I haven't been particularly creative this week. They're very similar to what we asked last week about Hallowed Be Your Name. Your kingdom come. Number one, what does this mean? Number two, why would we pray for this? And number three, how should this shape us? First of all, what does this, what does this mean when we pray your kingdom come? What is What is this kingdom that we're praying for? When we think of kingdoms, of course, it might seem a little bit old-fashioned. You know, we don't really live in kingdoms anymore, do we? But when Jesus was on the earth, he spoke a lot about a kingdom. One of the very first things he said when he began his ministry was, Repent, the kingdom of God has come near. And the kingdom, this, this kingdom, it was something he spoke about all the time. You could see in the reading that Val read for us, he told seven different parables, seven different stories all about this kingdom whatever this kingdom is. But, but what is this kingdom? When, when Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, what is he actually talking about? Well, Jesus is, of course, talking about the kingdom of God. And what is that? Well, to put it simply, God's kingdom is where God rules over his people. It's God's rule over God's people in God's place. I think that's how we can sum it up. In a nutshell, but it's not a simple concept. God's kingdom—it's uh, all through the Bible. It's—it's it's a term that's loaded with all sorts of significance, and so it is worth doing a little bit of work to try and work out what we're actually talking about when we talk about this idea of God's kingdom. It's not necessarily straightforward. Um, so, so try with me. I'll try, I'll try try and stay with me. I'll try and give us a bit of a summary um, of of kind of the significance of what we're talking about when we talk about one uh, of God's kingdom. One thing I think that's helpful to think about when we think about God's kingdom is to think about how the Bible talks about God's kingdom in the past, the Bible talks about God's kingdom in the present, today, 2022, um, and the Bible talks about God's kingdom still to come in the future. So past, present, future, um, the Bible talks about God's kingdom. In, in the past, um, to start off with, you can go right back to the Old Testament, to the very start of the Bible, even the first couple of chapters of the Bible, you have God's kingdom. It's there in the Garden of Edom. You have God, you have God's people. Adam and Eve, and you have God ruling over his people in God's place. God's place is the garden. It's a little kingdom of God. And then, of course, the Bible story goes on, and Adam and Eve sin. Uh, They decide not to follow God. They leave the garden. They're cut off from God's place. Uh, God's kingdom kind of seems like it's in ruins. But then you you keep going, and we've seen this earlier in the year when we were looking at Genesis. God still cares about his world. He's still going to stick by it, and so... As you go on, we see that his his kingdom uh, seems to continue to grow again. He again starts to rule over his people who become the nation of Israel. And the place of his rule becomes the land of Israel. God's kingdom, slowly but surely, becomes a bit more like a normal kingdom nation. It's the nation of Israel that becomes God's kingdom. But yet again, God's people don't live his way. They, they reject God's rule. They'd rather have their own king, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. They reject God. And again, God's people have to leave God's place. They're taken off into exile. God's kingdom again looks like it's kind of falling apart. You see, through the past, God's kingdom, it's been this thing that's been there through all of history, through the whole of the Bible, and it has times when it seems like it's going really well, times when it seems like it's actually not going well. Um, and obviously there's lots more detail we could dig into. Um, I thought what I'd just do today, I thought I'd just give you a very quick book recommendation, because if you'd like to dig into some of the detail of this kind of story of God's kingdom through the Bible, um, this is a book that does exactly that. I've got a, um, I've got a picture up here for you. It looks different on the screen than on my copy, because I've got an old copy. Um, it's called God's Big Picture, uh, by a guy called Vaughn Roberts. Uh, what's great about this book is that it just shows you how the whole Bible fits together and, and, it shows you actually that in many ways um, the Bible is a story that's all about God's kingdom. It just kind of traces that story um, through the, bio, the through the whole Bible. That's why it's called God's Big Picture. It gives you a big picture overview of what the Bible's all talking about. It's the, kind, of, kind of in many ways it's the story of God's kingdom. And this kingdom, so it's, it's been there through history. It's been there in the Old Testament. Uh, but as you get towards the end of the Old Testament, well, God's kingdom really seems to have come to nothing. It hasn't. The Romans are ruling There's nothing really going for it. Um, But what you do have are prophecies, promises of one day God's kingdom coming in a a new way, in in an eternal way. And that's when you move through the Bible and you come to Jesus. Jesus said that he came to tell people that this new kingdom was here. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near, he said. It's in your midst. And this was a bit confusing. People thought that this meant, okay, is Jesus about to, bring back sort of a Israelite nation-state Is he about to overthrow the Roman government, set up a new monarchy. Uh, and even Jesus' followers were confused about this. Um, and even after he died and rose again, they still didn't really know what was going on. Um, have a look at this little interaction from the start of the book of Acts. Um, this is when Jesus is just about to be ascended into heaven. Uh, this is what it says. It says, on one occasion, while he, he being Jesus, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command... Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, uh, which is the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized, there it is, with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore, let's split my slide, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) There it is. They're thinking, okay, you've been talking about the kingdom the whole time, Jesus. Is this this it? Are you finally going to get this kingdom going? Well, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from sight. Jesus' followers, they still wanted to get the political kingdom going. They wanted to build the army. They wanted to build the palace. They wanted to restore Israel to its former glory. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what my kingdom is going to be about. And this, by the way, is where we get the clues to work out what God's kingdom is like today in 2022. Jesus, instead of saying, let's build an army, well, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom now, after Jesus, through to the present day, it's about the Holy Spirit. And this is the this is the start of the book of Acts. God's kingdom is now about what the Holy Spirit is about to do in the rest of the book of Acts. God's kingdom is going to be about God's people going out as witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit, building his church. That's what the whole book of Acts is about, God's kingdom growing, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church spreading across the ancient world. And that's that's what happened in the few years, a few decades after Jesus. But fast forward, here we are about 2,000 years later, and the Holy Spirit's kept doing his thing, kept spreading the church, kept uh, making new churches start. The church has spread and spread and spread. More and more churches have started until finally you get to the year 2006. And what's significant about that? Well, 16 years ago, this church began. Our church, Trinity Church Brighton. Here we are almost 2,000 years later, and we are now part of God's kingdom. We're part of this big story. We're God's people. We're living in his place and by his Holy Spirit. We're living under his rule with him as our king. What is the kingdom of God? What does the kingdom look like today? Well, look around. This is a little piece of it right here this morning. Now what does this actually look like? How does this kind of work on a more global scale? Is this, you know, the center of God's kingdom? Well, it's not quite as simple as that. I was trying to get my head around kind of what this looks like and I started thinking in diagrams. So I've um I've got a diagram for you. Um the, the kingdom of God today, uh you, you have head of heaven and earth. Heaven is the place of course where God is. Our Father is ruling on his throne, Jesus at his right hand. Uh, in heaven. Yeah, I think it's good good, good to picture this, you know, heaven in heaven. You know, we don't know kind of physically where heaven is, but, but God is up there sitting on his throne ruling over this world. And we are here down below on the earth. And of course, there are all sorts of uh, kingdoms on the earth. Here's a few for us. And God is sovereign, of course, over the whole world and over every person. Uh, but they don't all belong to him in the same way. They're not all his people. And so what does God's kingdom look like? Well, the kingdom is made up of Thousands and thousands and thousands of these tiny little, you might call them outposts. Tiny little small gatherings of his people, churches scattered all over his world. All over his world, little groups of people living under his rule. Every little church around the world is almost like an embassy. Uh, you know, take us, we're here, we're in Australia, we, we, you know, we love Australia, um, but we also kind of have a special loyalty to the kingdom of heaven. You know how embassies—they're kind of like they're part of two countries. You know, well, we're kind of like—we have here like a little piece of heaven. This is kingdom territory. We don't—we don't just live here under Australian law, but we also live by kingdom law. We're, we're praying Your will be done, God. And in the church, with the Holy Spirit's help, we want to look to Jesus and live His way because this is the kingdom that we belong to. But God's kingdom, it's, it's been there through history, it's been there through the Bible, but it's also very significant today. It's the, the church scattered all around our world. But Jesus didn't talk just about the kingdom past and present. He also talked about the kingdom that's still to come, the kingdom coming at the end of the age. The kingdom is past, present, but it's also future. Uh, this is what Jesus was speaking about when uh, he spoke. He, he told that parable that Val read for us, uh, the wheat and the weeds. There are people that belong to the kingdom. They're like the wheat. There are people who belong to the evil one. They're like the weeds. At the moment, it's not always clear who is who and which is which, and that's why the harvesters wait till the end, uh, till they can see and then they can harvest. And Jesus said, the end says the end of the age, the end of the age. Uh, in the end of the age, the weeds will be gathered, taken away, and burnt, That will be an end for those who oppose God's kingdom. That will be also when people who belong to Jesus then experience the pure and perfect kingdom of God. Heaven and earth won't have that separation anymore. You remember um, in the book of Revelation, the heavenly city coming down to earth like a bride. The current earth and the current heaven will be done away with. In its place, a new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And at its center, the new Jerusalem, a new city home to the throne of God, God ruling over his people, ruling over an eternal and perfect kingdom. No more mourning or crying or pain. One day God's kingdom will be finally perfected. So what does this mean? What is God's kingdom? Well, it's the place where God rules over his people and it's been there through the past. It's something here in our midst in in the present today and it's also something... That's still yet to come, something we're looking forward to. but what about our second question then why why would we pray for this because well when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. you know if we're praying that, you know if this is the kingdom of God, if it started thousands of years ago and it spread over the world and and if Jesus is the, the, the king and if he's going to come back one day and uh, you know we're just here a tiny little outpost of this kingdom, well, what does it really matter if we pray your kingdom come? Because it's not like there's any doubt in God, in Jesus coming back, right? There's not like there's any doubt in that God's kingdom's going to succeed. Why do we need to pray for God's kingdom? Well, uh, let's actually think about what it means to pray your kingdom come. Because I think when we pray your kingdom come, well, actually, I think we're praying for a number of things, and they're not all just foregone conclusions. They're real live issues. Um, so here's one for us. I think when we're praying your kingdom come, we're praying that God's kingdom would come in us. We're praying that we would live, that, that I would live as a citizen of God's kingdom. We're praying that we all would serve God's kingdom. We're praying that we would put his kingdom first, give, give our lives to this great kingdom that we're a part of. We're praying that people would look at us at the end of our lives and say what they said about Queen Elizabeth. There is someone who lived their whole life loyal to God and his kingdom. Some of us, of course, might not be so sure about praying this. You know, we, we might not be so sure if we want God to be our king, if we want to serve him. And it's certainly not a small thing to decide to do, to, to be part of God's kingdom and follow him as your king. It's something we need to seriously consider. But um, we should also remember what we've already looked at in the Lord's Prayer. This is a holy God. He's a loving father. He's a good and kind and gentle king. Being part of his kingdom is a wonderful joy and a wonderful blessing. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying, I want to be part of this. I I want to have loyalty to this kingdom. It's your kingdom. I want to put it first. But also when we pray, uh, your kingdom come, we're also praying that we want God's kingdom to come for others. Uh, We're praying, I guess, for mission. Here's our, uh, here's our diagram from before again. We said that uh, through the Holy Spirit, God has been growing his church for 2,000 years and starting new churches. Well, um, we need to just add a couple more arrows to our diagram um, because God is still on about the spread of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. He's still on about kingdom growth. And we talked a little bit about the weeds and the wheat parable before. It highlights that there's some really serious stuff at stake. Eternity is at stake when we talk about God's kingdom we we want people to join God's kingdom not resist God's kingdom and face the judgment when harvest time comes there's another side to what Jesus said and it was nestled in the middle of that parable about the wheat and the weeds you 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 might have missed it because it was so short but um, right in between the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the explanation of the parable there was the parable of the mustard seed Uh, let's look at it again because it was so short it was just a couple of sentences Uh, he told them another parable The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in in its branches. Notice what the kingdom of God becomes. A tree with so much room, so many branches, so much room for all the birds, the biggest tree of all. In the kingdom of God, there is no lack of space. There is room for everyone. We want his kingdom to spread. And we want to see more and more people coming to perch in this tree, finding safety in the loving and the holy God. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for his kingdom to grow. We're praying for his kingdom to spread. And it doesn't spread by force. It doesn't spread by manipulation or tricks. It doesn't spread by trying to convince the world to follow Christian morals or Christian politics. It spreads by people being introduced to the King. It spreads by Christians sharing and witnessing to others about Jesus, about what he's like, about uh, the Holy Spirit working in their hearts, about helping people to come under Jesus' lordship. It's a wonderful thing to pray for, that his kingdom would come in others. But we're also praying for something else when we pray your kingdom come. We are also, of course, praying that Jesus would come again. Uh, this is maybe maybe what our minds jump to most naturally when we when we say that prayer. I know that's that's true for me, but I actually think, Probably the first two dot points are, are probably more primary in what Jesus is um, talking about. Um, but I remember a while back there was a, a series of jokes that were floating around on the internet about um, uh, what, w- w- about when Christians would not want to pray your kingdom come, when Christians would not want to pray your kingdom come. Because, you know, the, the jokes were things like, you know, you wouldn't pray God's kingdom, uh, your kingdom come when it's half time in a World Cup final. You want to see um, how the rest of the game's going to go. Uh, or you wouldn't pray your kingdom come maybe when you're sitting on a tropical beach on a holiday because you're thinking, well, at least let me have the rest of my holiday before, um, before Jesus comes back. Or you might, um, you certainly wouldn't pray your kingdom come on the night before your wedding. You've got to at least go, go and get married and enjoy your wedding night, but at least do that before Jesus comes back. Um, and then, of course, there were, there were other jokes about when you definitely would pray your kingdom come, you know, the night before an exam. Um, or, of course, more seriously, when you're um, in the middle of some painful suffering, you can't just see a way, you can't see a way out of it. Well, uh, the thing about living in Adelaide, in Australia, in this time of history, uh, you know, we, we do live in a time of relative safety and comfort. We have lots of things we can enjoy um, in this world. It, it's actually a bit harder for us to pray your kingdom come because we've got lots of things all around us that we, uh, we can enjoy and cherish. I think what we need to be reminded of, though, is the serious brokenness of this world. It's easy for us to put out of our minds, but I'm sure if you're a Christian in the Ukraine this morning, um, you would be very happy to pray hard that his kingdom would come. Or I'm sure if you're a Christian in China where Christians are being put in jail for uh, having Christian books and things like that, you would be very happy to pray your kingdom come. I'm sure if you're a Christian in Nigeria where, um, I don't know if you heard about this, but 70 Christians were killed by terrorists just last week, I'm sure you'd be praying your kingdom come. You know, the world has lots of wonderful joys in it, but we need to be reminded that it is a place of suffering. And, yeah, we're in Adelaide, and it's a bit easier to ignore it uh, in a lovely place like this. But actually, suffering does come for us too eventually, doesn't it? Uh, Your kingdom come means an end to that. It means us getting to go home to our heavenly city. It means us beginning to be able to enjoy our lives in his perfected and eternal kingdom. So we want to pray. Your kingdom come. What does this mean? Why would we pray for this? Just lastly then, how should this shape us? One of the things about the Lord's Prayer is that, yeah, we're praying. We are asking God to do something. um, But I think we'll find as well as we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer that uh, it'll also be our hearts, our minds, our desires that are being shaped as well. We'll find that God works on us through the prayer, not just um, doing things himself. We talked about three aspects of what it means when we pray your kingdom come. These are the three things. We pray for his kingdom to come in us. As we do that, it shapes our priorities. And as we pray for his kingdom to come in others, it shapes our mission. And as we pray for Jesus to come again, it shapes our hope. Our priorities, uh, Val also read out those two other parables that Jane took us through in the kid's talk, the parable of the buried treasure. The kingdom is like the man who finds uh, buried treasure in, in the field, and, and it's so valuable, so he sells everything he has to go, go buy that field. Uh, and there's the parable of the fine pearl. the merchant uh, finds a pearl, sells everything he has to get it because uh, it's so valuable. Uh, making God's kingdom our top priority, it's a matter of seeing how good the kingdom is, how wonderful it is. Because the person buying the buried treasure, uh, the person buying the pearl, neither of them are crazy. They're just doing very sensible things because they see the logic of what they're getting. That I suspect the guy who buys the field ends up getting the buried treasure and being richer than he was to begin with. Putting God's kingdom first, it's about realizing what a wonderful gift it is to have the holy God, our father, as our king, and to be able to serve him, to be part in this kingdom that's going to last forever. You know, you think Queen Elizabeth was in a privileged position being able to rule the British kingdom. Well, what an opportunity we have to serve the eternal kingdom and the holy and loving king. And I just wanted to say briefly, do you realize, by the way, that's what we do when we serve in our church, either formally or informally? You know, when you get here early to set up, when you prepare during the week for Trinity Kids and uh, lead on a Sunday, uh, when you take a meal over to a family who's struggling and spend some time praying for them, when you pray, pray for others during the week who are in our church, when you pray with people in your growth group, when you encourage them, when you come here early to welcome people on a Sunday morning, all of those things are incredibly significant because this is not just a little organization of people who gets together each week. This is, for all our flaws, this is a little outpost of God's kingdom. That's what we're serving. And can't we just look around the room and see so many wonderful examples of people who serve his kingdom so well and have been doing for a long time here amongst us. It's it's no small thing. This is this is Queen Elizabeth style stuff. This is a serious and wonderful privilege. This is serious and wonderful serving. And by the way, if you um haven't been able to get involved in serving and you think you could jump in, in to serving in twenty twenty three, well um don't miss out. It also shapes our mission. I think one of the things we need to hear about mission is that the Holy Spirit He's the one who has grown God's kingdom. He does his thing. He's going to keep doing his thing. Uh, he, he will bring into the kingdom those he chooses to bring into the kingdom. So in some ways, we need to just trust him. Uh, but that also involves hanging in there. I know some of us will have friends, relatives, uh, that we've been trying to tell them about Jesus for years, for decades. Uh, I think we need to hang in there. I think we need to not give up. Keep, keep making an effort to keep those friendships going, enjoy those friendships. Keep looking to ask them questions about how they're going, what they're thinking about. Um, Perhaps one day the opportunity will come. Most people will at some time, some point in their life, realize that the world is actually far more broken than it appears on the surface. And they might be ready to hear about uh, the reason for the hope that you have. And by the way, we're doing Christmas mission again this year, uh, making, giving out presents. Could be a great opportunity. Could open up a conversation. Maybe with someone you know well, maybe with someone you've known your whole life, maybe with someone you don't know at all. I think... Uh, the point is, there's not very much to lose, is there? It's not very hard to give a Christmas present to a neighbour, to someone at the gym, to, um, to someone in your life. You just don't know what might happen. There are opportunities everywhere. Could be a chance to get involved in that amazing work of this kingdom growing. These are the chances we're trying to find to try and uh, try and capitalise on. Well, we do that at Christmas time, but we also, of course, want to do that going into next year and going forward as well. Our priorities, our mission, very last thing, our hope. Uh, there are so many things that we can hope for in life, aren't there? We can hope for periods of good health. We can hope for great holidays. We can hope for a good life for our kids. We can hope that we'll finally be able to sort out the relationship that's been hard. Well, we've seen today that if we belong to God's kingdom, we have a hope that supersedes all those other hopes. They're, they're all good and wonderful things. But as we pray, your kingdom come, we're shaping our desires to look to that day that is to come, that day that is sure and certain. Our hope is in that day when Jesus comes back, when he does put things right, when we get to enter into that heavenly city and live with God in his perfect and eternal kingdom. When we find we don't have much else to hope in, well, that is what we can look to, isn't it? Well, might we pray, your kingdom come. May it come in our lives. May it shape our priorities. May it come in the lives of those around us. May it shape our mission. May Jesus return soon. May that be where we place our ultimate hope. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.